Welcome to Saving UX. I'm your host, Jeremy Kriegel, and I believe that UX is in trouble. I think that we are just not having the impact that we could. Even though there's lots of people doing the work, my hypothesis is that the impact per capita is not only lower than it could be, but lower than it has been in the past. And look, Saving UX is not about saving my job, this career that I've put a quarter century into. It really is about having the biggest possible impact we can on the organizations we work with and the people that they serve. Because I believe that UX done well and applied to the right problems can, can have a massive positive impact on the world. All right. Today, it is my great pleasure to, uh, to introduce Brian Kalma. Brian is a Hello. UX veteran. He started at, well, not started, but spent some time very early on at Zappos for like seven, eight years there, moved on to working at multiple startups, which is where we met. We met at one of those. Uh, he's also been an advisor, angel investor, and returned to Zappos a little bit later as a uh, EIR. Brian, thanks you so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So I, I gave a very brief overview, but I was wondering if maybe you could give people a little bit more depth in terms of your UX background to help give folks some context for the rest of the conversation. Yeah, yeah, happy to. Um, you know, I've come to learn that of most of the UX folks that I, uh, you know, roll with, uh, I have a slightly unique background. So let me kind of start there. Um, you know, I came out of, uh, I grew up actually wanting to be a marketing and advertising person. I don't know why I had that dream, but I did. And I actually actualize that. I came out of college uh, working in advertising. I worked at two ad agencies over the course of four and a half years um, and had this sort of like quarter life freak out. Um, and long story short, I, I landed at uh, I landed at Zappos and sort of grew into, you know, it was a little startup there 2002. And I kind of kind of grew with the company and found myself as the head of marketing there <laughs> um, at a super high growth company. And you know, uh, at you know, super high gross fat, fast company. And um, it, it, that marketing role eventually morphed into, you know, a variety of other roles, which ultimately became my UX role. And I learned UX on the job at Zappos. But it's important to also note that like prior to coming into the UX role at Zappos, when I was still running marketing, I learned pretty quickly that marketing is about finding your audience and setting expectations and promises, um, which is an interesting nugget that came back uh, as a important input as I moved out of marketing into product and UX at Zappos. I started to realize that like, you know, UX is the way one feels as a result of the tools you give them to attain their, pro you know, as a result of the tools you give their user to attain their promises or the expectations you set um, that, that marketing is set. So ultimately, like it was an interesting transition to go from like the finding your users and setting expectations to delivering upon your users' expectations and, uh, and uh, the promises you set. So like I think that context is important because uh, the fact that I came from marketing into UX really shaped how I thought about UX, which sometimes even in current days, sort of like lands in contrast to how some of my colleagues in UX think about UX and what it should be, what it means. Um, and ultimately, you know, at Zappos, I left the uh, UX, uh, uh, I left the company in uh, 2010 and landed at, at a place called Guild Group and ran customer experience and user experience there as well, um, which was a culture shock sort of experience because I went from like, you know, uh, one company where I learned the, the, the field on the job to another place that kind of brought in a lot of that had a lot of people around there who came around me who came from like 
more systematic educational aspects of UX and products. So it was like this kind of clash of different perspectives. Um, and I eventually moved on from there and realized that that kind of clash of UX perspectives would follow me everywhere I went moving forward. In some cases, I would overcome these challenges. We can dig into some of these in other cases. Yeah, now. yeah. But these, you know, that, 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 the way I was groomed at Zappos has fundamentally set my expectations at a, at a, at a certain level that any place I go to next, I run into these like odd challenges on trying to sell UX to the organization or defi or get people to understand the value or get people to understand why it's taking more than a day or two to get a thing done, you know? So it, it's interesting uh, that, uh, that, uh, that these challenges that I saw post Zappos still perpetuate, but, uh, I don't know if I would perceive these things as challenges had I not had the Zappos experience. I don't know. Um, but ultimately, um, after a series of twists and turns and confidence bruising experiences, um, you know, I decided to kind of collect myself, step back and go back to Zappos as an opportunity to kind of collect myself culturally and allow myself to be at a place that just fundamentally uh, so valued who I was as a person, not necessarily the job title, uh, just to kind of like reset. Uh, and that's what brought me back to Zappos a couple of years ago, but I've recently left. Wow, it's, it's it's quite a quite a story. You've had quite a journey. I'm I'm curious about these differences of perspective that you talked about in, between you and some of the other folks that other UX folks you've worked with. Can you talk a little bit more about that? <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, this is a, a relatively uh, big one to dig into and through a variety of different entrance points. I, I having kind of grown up in UX in a really fast growing startup, even when UX itself was a field that was sort of just being defined. We're talking 2003-ish, 2004, you know. I, I, I always had in me the belief at that point that the core thing to achieve in delivering upon the experience you want to give your users and customers are extreme company alignment around what it is you want your users to do, feel, and achieve, right? And Zappos fundamentally had that, which then means we didn't have to pay as much attention to like product UX processes that have become very popularized. Like I couldn't tell you what our process was. Was it Scrum? Was it Agile? Was it Waterfall? I don't know. Those discussions actually never happened. We just created great experiences. So like for me, like I have this perspective that like uh, um, that more important than your UX process and practice is the, is the, is your company aligned concept uh, to me is paramount over over anything else. You could try to shove in any process you want. You could try to pontificate that this, that, or the other is right. But the reality is, in my, at least in my experiences, is that um, without pure, without leadership alignment, particularly from the top, UX is destined to fail at the organization, and I would stay far away from it. Right. Um, so, I guess what I'm trying to say here is I have like this like a version, I have this kind of feeling against US pro, UX, traditional UX processes. And as a UX person, I tend to believe the job is largely around like proving the value of what you do as a UX person to the business people at the organization. And if we ourselves can't define that beyond saying, oh, we want to give customers delight. If we can't, as UX people define that in a dollars and cents perspective, we're not going to succeed at getting or bigger and broader organizational buy-in. So it's my belief that most of us as UXers actually don't know the value we provide. We think we do, but we actually don't. So I think what you talk about there in terms of 
driving that alignment throughout the organization, I'd agree is really critical. It is gonna be hard to be successful if UX isn't tied into these, these key priorities and it's a shared priority. How have you gone about ensuring that there is that alignment in, in an organization? It's, it's, it's way, way beyond what typical UX tends to yeah. focus on and extremely challenging conversations, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, totally. So uh, cutting to the chase, uh, I don't talk about touchy-feely design things when it comes to uh, when I'm talking to my execs at companies. To me, you know, that, that, that I have experienced that to be a signal of, of like this kind of like uh, these folks don't want to move as quickly as we do sort of mindset, right? Maybe that's very specific. Maybe that's just the experiences that I, I've had, but I, I avoid traditional design language conversation with execs. What I do is I work what, to What do you mean by like a touchy feely? <laughs> Um, yeah, let me, let me circle back to what do I mean by that? Okay. All right. Uh, please, uh, if that's okay, <laughs> it's your show. Go for it. Um, um, so what I do, uh, do to try to get you a bit bigger and broader, uh, business buy-in is to speak the language that, you know, finance and other parts of the business speak such that those who control the dollars and the funds of the company can feel confident that we're building towards improving the bottom or the top line. So for example, like. Um, instead of going and talking to, you know, the execs about, listen, we have to make our users feel good. We want them to have this delightful experience because they're going to come back more, whatever. Like that to me is closer to the touchy feely side of things. Like, uh, so maybe I'm using the wrong label, but that's what I mean by kind of closer to the touchy feely side of things. What I'm actually going to talk to them about is how UX can provide lifetime value, how by doing, you know, I'm going to oversimplify X, Y, and Z, we could improve, we can increase our LTV by blah, blah, blah. And, you know. I, I say, I'm using a very trivial example now because I think the, the metrics should be contextual to what the business actually needs. But, but at Zappos, we looked at lifetime value and we, we fundamentally believe that like, you know, the UX team was a huge contributor towards attaining a, you know, an, an increasing lifetime value of our customers because yes, the touchy-feely thing is they will come back, but the dollars, but the metrics need to prove that. And by, you know, for whatever magic it is we are doing or not doing, if, LT, if the lifetime value at Zappos wasn't going up, we weren't delivering on the experience we thought it took to get someone to come back. So we weren't talking about, again, like delight uh, and, and, and things like that. We were talking about lifetime value and believe that delight and all those things baked up to it. So I think, you know, the, the a way, one way to help get buy-in within the broader organization is first understanding what us as UXers are actually trying to achieve in the dollars and cents of things. Meaning, is our work truly increasing, you know, investor value? Is it truly getting customers to come back? Do we, uh, how do we prove that? We have to figure that out ourselves before we can go and start like waving a flag and say, we're important. Um, and I, and, and in my experience as many UXers, and it's a hard thing, don't know how to do that. How to, how to, how to, prove the value of their work. They could talk about it, but prove it. And how would you expect the business to follow suit if us ourselves as an organ, as a, as a field have a hard time defining that? Were you looking at any um, other metrics that were either correlated or supported that LTV conversation? I mean, lifetime value is a pretty lagging indicator. You, you do some work now, you release it. It's going to be a while, I imagine, before you start to see LTV go up in a meaningful way. Yeah. So were there any shorter term things that you'd look at to tell you that you're going in the right direction. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I great question because when I think about UX, I fundamentally think about it as the emotion someone feels after having engaged with your product or experience, right? So like they're not, they're not necessarily going to come back at that, you know, a day or a week later, right? So lifetime value is a lagging indicator, right? And there are components that build up to it, right? But it's, it's also a slippery slope with these components. You could say, yes, listen, um, one of UX's micro goals should be to reduce bounce rate, right? Just being very tactical for a second. You know, marketing is saying, come to us, we will give you A, B, and C. When they come to us, are we actually giving them A, B, and C? That to me is when it falls into sort of the UX world of thing, the side of things, right? So like, yes, on a daily basis, you could put other measures in place to see, to, to get a, a sense if you're going in the right direction if LTV will be increased over the course of time. And those are the things that get us by on a day-by-day -day basis. But the other part of this all too is that like, I, I, I think UX is, it's important to communicate UX, UX as both the ability to help, you know, the company in the short term, but it's about building long-term value and health and sustainability. And oh, by the way, incrementally, I can reduce your bounce rate from 31 to 30%. I can maybe get your, you know, conversion rate to tick up a little bit. But I think it's important as we, as we break apart the lifetime value, like Uber metric to your, to your point, breaking them down to smaller chunks, you know, so you can look at it. even conversion rate is one of those things. It's good to look at it, but there's so many inputs that go into that. Um, uh, but I think lifetime value really balances the, the day to day and all the, and, and how the day to day builds up to the long run. So yeah, it's a sort of role that need that I think needs to be patient. Otherwise I think, you know, but just to keep rambling, is that like, you know, part of the overlapping problem here is that so many companies, you know, view UX and UI as this synonymous thing, right? So like the more we push on making UI changes exclusively to move one metric, um, the more I think that perpetuates that perceived problem of UX and UI being the exact same thing, which sort of agitates the shit out of me sometimes. <laughs> but I don't know how to solve it. So you know? it's interesting because you talked about this you know, when you're talking to executives or non-UX stakeholders, you're, you're talking about the numbers, you're talking about the metrics, but the way you define UX was more about the touchy-feely, that experience Correct. that you have after using the product. Yes. Um, so are, are, are you just making that translation within yourself, within UX, and there's sort of a, 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 a firewall, if you will, of language that we're going to focus on the, yes. the softer experience within UX, but we're not going to really emphasize that outside of UX? Mostly, yes. You know, um, that's been my strategy, at least, right? Um, uh, very debatable whether that's right, right? But like, for the most part, yeah, for the most part, yes, like, I, I try to make sure that, um, that we speak to the business in the way the business understands. And then we speak amongst ourselves in a way that motivates us to, to kick ass, right? Um, but at the same time, I do think it's on you know, ahead of a UX or product team to also start educating the UX team on the more on the business metrics so they can get the tools themselves to speak as business folks, not as perceived cr just creative folks. Right. I think I think I think that's like sort of like this invisible divide that the UX like, do they fall on the business side or do they fall more on the creative side? And like, you know, my point is both or neither or all. And, you know, it's up to us to speak business. I don't think it's up to the business to speak UX. It's kind of that know, know your customer, know, you know, when you're talking, whether you're talking to other UX people or business folks or marketing, you be able to craft your language appropriately. I, I think so. I think that's, you know, I, correct. I mean, maybe we can call that a soft skill. Maybe that comes with experience. I don't know. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I think know your audience, you know, your finance person is a target audience. You know, the marketing person is a different target audience. You're not going to just throw the same, like, 
look how delighted our users are metric that them. You're not. I mean, you may, but my suspicion is you may be frustrated with the long-term response you get by just doing that. You know, to give myself the safety net here, I'll say that every company culture is different, right? And I think, and I think, you know, whatever playbook you have as a UXer, you know, I think it's important to, to be willing to rethink and rewrite that in the context of the environment in which you're now at, you now join, the company you next join. I think that's remarkably important. I learned that lesson with like a, a metaphoric, huge slap to the face when I went to Guild Group. You know, um, I had, I, you know, I had this way, this playbook of doing things at Zappos and I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, everybody lives in this utopian, you know, carnival world called Zappos. And I get the guilt grip. I'm like, nope, that was not the case. And, you know, my way did not work out that well. Um, and it's, but, but there was a period of time where I was frustrated at the business for like not thinking my way. But the reality is I didn't think, I didn't adapt my ways rapidly enough to the way, to the culture of the company to succeed best. So like I've learned over time that I, I channel my frustrations at an organization's view on design toward back towards me now. I used to get frustrated at a company. I now realize it is all me. And I've chosen to go to a company. I either did the diligence properly or I didn't. Um, I, or, or I have the wherewithal to fight through something or I don't. Um, I've come to realize that, 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 at least for me, that that's what it is. No uh, I think it's really powerful when you can take ownership of that. Like I have a, I have a role to play in this. I, I chose yeah. to come here. What can I control? Correct. Um, as you would find yourself adapting to other cultures and organizations, are there any sort of baseline things that, that you won't change? Like, yeah, I'll adapt this, but this isn't moving. Uh, no, I would, I would, I'd be open to rethink anything. Um, to be honest now, doesn't mean I'm like going to spend my time rethinking like why a add to cart button needs to change to a star instead of a, a rectangle like they are now. Like, I, I mean, like, sure, open to it, but like, you know, I'm not going to prioritize what I would call basic standards in the interest of doing things excellent, uh, or in an outstanding manner that accentuate the standards what, that you built upon. So, so I think that, um, uh, you know, I'd probably look to say like, what, what is it about this experience that's standard? And let's just apply as many basic standards as we can to here. What differentiates us? Let's put our energy there and think outside the box and different and try not to reinvent at the foundation level. Um, but generally speaking, principally, I would be open to it, but I probably wouldn't prioritize rethinking the kind of standards in the context of the, uh, to the industry once in. Got it. Let's take a step back. Yeah. We really, we just don't. <laughs> Dove right into it. Um, Sorry. Deep end. Thinking back to when you you were you were learning UX, you know, early two thousands, through your journey to where we are in in twenty twenty one, I guess how how do you see our current moment in time? How is UX doing now? What is the health of the practice, and how how is it? How have you seen it change in over the course of your career? Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> Hard question. Um, so in my opinion, like, you know, the UX, UX field has gotten popularized, let's call it in the last 10, 11 years, um, yeah. whatever the number is for others, I may say 20 years, right? But uh, from my vantage point, the past 10 years, it's been the sort of explosion um, of people in the field, of companies paying attention to it, right? And it, it feels that what, have, what has also come with that is this sort of like 
convoluted definition of what of what the work is, which causes a lot of confusion in the industry, right? Like uh, I, I said earlier about kind of UX slash UI, like um, you know, to to me that to me that there's like there's like this kind of multitude of definitions and perceptions of the work we do that exists out there, uh, which I think makes it tumultuous and more emotionally taxing on all of us UX folks who 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 know we can do this, but companies try to bucket us into this. Um, I think the state of you know, UX sort of sort of like fragmented now, um, and and to some extent I think the UX field has, needs to own some of that because we're chasing our tail on uh, on defining uh, and you know coming up with you know fancy new job titles, uh, which you know as a UX person I find this all confusing myself. <laughs> you know I'm just like well I don't know the difference between this role that role this role that role. You know. And, you know, it gets to the point where, you know, I'm, I'm susceptible to overthinking, right? Maybe a lot of humans are, but like, I, you know, you really get into this kind of like overthinking UX world. And, and I think the state of UX is overthought hmm. right now. Um, and, you know, I think that the state of UX is like in transition. There's like, there's so much common accessibility to create products out and services out there, like, yeah, things like Shopify that allow you to turn on an e-commerce site that relegates the need for, you know, a person to design a, a basic e-commerce experience unnecessary, right? So like, but, but, but I also sort of feel like we're sort of like trying as UX people to plug ourselves into different areas because we're still trying to define it. So I don't know, I find a UX world a little oversaturated, a little poorly defined. And, um, and I think, you know, we as UX people need to own that and not look at companies uh, as the culprit of possibly muddling what UX is. It, it's part of what? why I've pulled myself out of the industry a little bit to look at it as an entity. I was immersed yeah. in it, you know, and I pulled myself out now. I'm looking at it as this globe, right? I'm not, you know, I haven't gotten involved in too much UX stuff in the past couple of years. And, and I see, it just seems like this melee uh, of, of activity. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah. Lost my so, train of thought, so stepping out <laughs> in that way has it changed your perspective on anything? Would it would it change how you would engage stepping back into it? Yes. Yes. Um, I, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'll say something controversial. This is terrible, um, and I'll lose friends and followers for this. Um, I, I would use. <laughs> I would. I would continue, obviously, you know, to, 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 to go through the practice of user research and listening to users and everything that encompasses, but I would use my gut a lot more, hmm. a lot more, a lot, a lot, a lot more. And do you feel like that, that gut is, isn't being trusted in UX circles or, or what? Yeah. What are you seeing? That's kind of pushing you in that direction. What aren't we doing that we, that, that I see a, that? I see a tug of war, right? Um, in certain scenarios where, again, like grain of salt here, but like there's a camp of folks who are, who like, don't move until we know exactly what the problem is, till we know exactly what the user says, till we know exactly what's going to happen. And there's another camp of people that would just be like, just, just do blah, 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 and we'll see what happens, right? Like, you know, uh, uh, and that, and that's, this latter one kind of falls more in the startup world, at least in my experiences. And the former kind of falls more into kind of like bigger monolithic companies that have a harder time moving and maybe both are justified. Um, but the world that I like to play in is in the kind of smaller stuff now these days. Um, and, you know, to me, so when I say gut intuition, I would trust my gut intuition, particularly when to deploy standards and when to reinvent. Um, I would listen to my 
past experiences to guide reactionary responses. Meaning like I've learned over the course of time that there's a, there, that there are some, there's a time and place for, you know, sitting down, rolling up the sleeves and going through the intense design research process. And there are times where I think you should take a swing and take a bet. I would take more swings and take bets because I've learned in my experiences that I learn faster that way. Um, and I've, uh, yeah, uh, I've learned faster that way. So that, that, that approach works for me, um, a little bit more. I, and maybe that comes with more time spent in the industry. I don't know. I mean, if you ask me to go design a car interface, I'm not going to do that because <laughs> there are lives at stake. But you ask me to design an e-commerce experience, I am going to do that. I am going to use my intuition a lot more. And so I would say when it comes to common repeating experiences, I would definitely lean into that intuition a lot more. Uh, so I could spend the mental energy um, uh, excelling at, at, at a unique differentiator and value prop. You know, I think you, you hit an interesting and important point there is that you, you have a lot of experiences you've done, especially around e-commerce. You've done it for decades. And you know, I think some <laughs> uh, describe that, that oh, uh, maybe not as long. Uh, you know, I mean, technically, te it's more than one, right? So that works. But decades has yeah. this connotation that like, anyway, sorry. If you need a beard with some gray in it. And yeah. then you... <laughs> send, send it over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it off. I'll send it over. Um, you know, you know, our intuition is is our unconscious mind doing pattern matching across all the yeah. experiences we've had, and it just happens faster than we're consciously aware of, and it kind of pulls out. Okay, we do this based on all these other experiences. Yeah. It, would you say the same thing to you know maybe junior and mid level folks who haven't had the same breadth of experience? Um, should they also be trusting their gut more uh, or where, where should they be looking for validation? Yeah, this is a tough one, you know, and um, which is why I'm not a, a professor. Um, <laughs> uh, could be. Yeah, it could be. Uh, but I, I think that the, I would like to reframe that question. I, I would probably ask a UX person, how do you best learn? Do you know how you best learn? Hmm. Right. And, and whatever that way is, go that way. Um, and I know that's like a, you know, foo-foo sort of thing to say, because you're in an organization, you may not be able to do exactly what's in your heart. But, but, but I, think, I think that's the question to ask, is know how you learn. Know how you, yourself, um, gain information and, and act upon it. You know, maybe it's a preset process that's been written in some book, maybe it isn't. Um, and trust that feeling and go with it. That takes time, that takes practice. I get that, but I, it, but I would say that's the sort of thing someone needs to be asking themselves day in and day out. Um, uh, you know, I'm about to turn 44 and I think it, I'm only starting to understand this. I wish I someone, that's I wish a someone really asked me good, uh, earlier. A really good point to, that we all do learn differently, we grow differently and, and what works for one person obviously may not be right for, for everyone. Um, uh, could, could I interject on it though? I think yeah. if you take this away from the self, right? Let's say you have a junior person who's the only UX person at an organization with a lot of senior people in other areas. You know, I think the question then there is observe how the company learns, observe how the company responds, how the company react. How do, how does the senior execs, like I was saying earlier about the finance metrics, how, how do they respond? And, and to me, that's learning. Okay. If they respond by talking about blah, 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 then talk more about blah, blah, blah in a way that achieves your goal, you know? Um, that's learning. You got to learn how you learn. You have to learn how the company moves, how the company learns, how the company makes decisions. That's, and that's also, you're talking a little bit about kind of internal ethnography, 
you know, in terms of how you, how you understand the organization you're in, so you can so you can adapt to it and you can uh, more effectively sell the the value of what yeah. you're doing in, inside it. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, you also reminded me that I, I've been sort of like over the years accused of like saying like, I don't have processes, I don't have these things. All, I, but what I really do, what I don't have, is the affinity for these labels. Yeah, it, it's come up a number of times that the role of UX keeps getting kind of narrower and narrower. Usually, it starts about thinking entire customer experience, any any interaction someone has with the brand, and eventually gets winnowed down to do some screens. Yeah. Um, do you have any thoughts on what? how we reopen that to to be able to do more for organizations be able to provide more value and expand our mandate you know um yes and no you know uh, i feel a little less confident in the stuff i'm about to say relative to the stuff i i did say prior in this conversation um but but um i i don't have i don't i guess the short answer is no you know uh sadly um but but i but i i i really I really think that like, you know, a, maybe a parallel answer to this is like, it would be amazing to see more UX people trying to run their own businesses, right? And maybe, maybe that's a side hustle. Maybe that's them trying to become founders. So that way, I think there's a broader understanding of all the inputs that go into running a business beyond the stuff that you're working on, but not just the inputs, the stresses from the people running those areas uh, uh, and the things that, you know, a different teams are accountable for like are good things to know to make you a more well-rounded UX person to possibly allow you to maybe grow into more, you know, broader, broader business role or, or to get broader oversight over an experience at a company. I think you need to be able to prove that, you know, um, you know, not just your vertical, but horizontally how to be effective. Um, I know that's not necessarily the best answer to the question. Um, but you know, had, had someone told me that when I was 22, I think I could have accelerated uh, some of my career. Would you encourage them to like, should they do UX consulting or do you mean like start a product company, come up with a product and try and bring it to market so you understand that larger life cycle? Probably closer to the latter, but I don't know if I would define it explicitly like that because like there's UX and product across all, all different things. Uh, you know, maybe you're a UX person for clothing, you know, for putting on a shirt, you know, I don't know, whatever, uh, selling a shirt. Um, uh, but I, But I think it's closer to a product company that's maybe somewhat closer to the world you want to be within, um, or conversely, you know, find a way to get exposed to other aspects of a business really early on. Maybe, you know, maybe there is a place for a UX person at a startup really on, really early on to get like, to get that kind of, you know, broad knowledge across a lot of areas that then may allow them to see things more holistically that, you know, may change the way they work to, to get broader oversight. But I don't have a good answer on that one clearly. <laughs> that, that's just the advice I would give. Yeah, no, I, I think that's okay. And I think I really appreciate that you can be honest in your contextualization of where you feel strong in your, in your yeah. opinions and, and, and where they're, they're not as uh, you don't feel as strongly about them. It, it's a tough, it's tough. You know, it, it's, 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 it's almost like politics. How do you solve problems? It, it's hard. You know, there's so much, you know, we're humans, we have emotion. Uh, different people at the companies we work with have emotion, you know, and uh, there's there's so much that goes into this that I think um, to be successful, you really have to take a step back and, and be able to put yourself in other people's shoes, not just your customers. Now, I, I can hear from your language, you're definitely, you're moving, you're clearly moving more to, into the small company startup realm. You've also spent some time at some big companies and that's that's where you said you've learned, you know, as, as 
Zappos is growing. Yeah. Um, you, that you learned there, you returned there. Um, how do you think about like that's the the small company experience versus the large company experience, especially maybe when it comes to you know advice you would give others to help them effectively grow their career? Well, I mean, it would kind of go. I guess I would say something very similar to what I said earlier about know how you learn. You know, I think it's you know if you're if you're a career minded UX person and you want to like make a career out of this stuff, right? You know, my advice would be is like take a job at a startup for a few years, take a job at a slightly larger company for a few years, and then take stock of really what energized you at those experiences. I don't think you know until you do that sort of stuff, right? So, um, so from my vantage point, like I'd encourage people to do that. You know, if, if you have the means to switch jobs over the course of, you know, four or five years, work at a large one, work at a startup, take stock of where you get pulled uh, and go there. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's sort of the reason why I try to stay in the smaller company area. I realize that that's where my energy comes from. That gives me the opportunity to not just stay in my lane, you know, yeah. and I've realized that that's important to me. You had said in the beginning when we started, there was a couple stories that you wanted to tell yeah. that were that were related here. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let me, uh, you know, there's a product out there. It's, a, it's not a story of my participation in building a product, but it's a, my, a story about my participation in using a product that probably everyone who's listening to this or watching this has used. Um, and it's Calendly or Doodle. Yeah. Um, using those products have really like taught me the difference um, between like, taught me, taught me how people could interpret differences in UX. Meaning I fucking hate Calendly and Doodle. When someone sends me one of those things, I hate it. Um, it's it, but objectively, and I'll tell you why I hate it in a moment. It makes the process of scheduling something so much faster, right? So task completion wise, Generally speaking, the product is pretty good at reducing back and forth. And theoretically, I should be happier because I don't have to email back and forth six times to schedule a meeting. But there's something interesting about the experience in using it. So in this example, Jeremy, let's say I ask you, uh, I'm sorry, you ask me to have a meeting, right? Hey, Brian, I want to meet with you. And I say, sure. And then you send me a Calendly link. To me, that sets up this kind of hierarchical relationship, right? from an experiential perspective you ask something from me and now you're also asking me to now perform more work and compare my calendar to yours so it's so it's faster in terms of we're not going back and forth but i now have my two windows open i'm doing the work and i pick a time right to me that's a nuanced difference the other way around doesn't bother me so much right like where if i ask you for a meeting or you ask me for a meeting rather and I send you my Calendly link. I'm like, okay, cool. You asked me, so I'm going to make you do a little bit more work, right? Um, to me, that's the subtle fine line uh, that exists in this like UX Venn diagram of like task completion and feeling. Objectively, Calendly and Doodle are freaking amazing, and I still use it, but I still get really upset for whatever freaking reason when the other scenario explained happens. That to me taught me the power of like understanding the context of a product you're building uh, and, 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 and like also how, you know, how people use your product can impact your brand perception. Like 
you know, I begrudgingly have signed up for these things because it's now become sort of like saturated, but I still feel emotionally unsettled when that, other, when that experience happens of a requester sending me their link, even though they're the one requesting the thing. That to me is the power of UX uh, because on paper, that's freaking great. They solved an amazing problem. It still pisses me off. Yeah, it's really interesting you, you mentioned that. Again, that, that difference between effectively solving a problem, but still the emotional reaction you can have. Um, and even I had a similar reaction when I had some time between leaving Audible and, and starting at Omnicell, which where I just began. And you know, I wanted to connect with, reconnect with as many folks as I could. And, and I had, uh, I was using XAI. And you know, so the easiest thing, people say, hey, let's connect. Hey, here's my, here's my XAI link. You can, you can go to that. But it was effective, but it felt impersonal. Yeah. Right. There's something about that social uh, connection of even that going back and forth is that again, like we're equals, we're collaborating on this and like shunting someone off to a service felt like, yeah, um, you know, my assistant will call you, right? It, you said it creates this hierarchy. Kind yeah. Of thing. It's, it's, it's a weird feeling, right? Like, but as you know, as, as someone who's been on the other side of like building these things, like it's easy for that company to say, listen, we've succeeded and we nailed it. Right. And, or, or whatever, like, and they, and by all accounts and standards, maybe they did. Right. But I think that goes back down, you know, that kind of goes back down to that cycle of UX helping lifetime value or not, you know, like that, and it's not measurable. Like, I mean, let me say the interaction part isn't contributing to the measurable part of it all. Meaning like, like I am not helping Calendly's lifetime value because I feel so shitty when I get an invite from it. Right. Even though it helps in that moment. I recently had someone ask if, hey, hey, Brian, could I introduce you to someone who's looking to uh, move into UX, right? And I said, sure. Uh, and then all of a sudden that intro moved to this platform where they connected us, two of us on a platform. And now I had to like go in, like accept the connection in the platform. And I was like, oh my God, this took like, it allowed the person who was making the connection to solve a problem on their end. And that is like, you know, you know make it easier for them to in introduce people. Now me on the other, on the other, you know, then follow up because there was a follow up component to it all. How was the intro, all that sort of stuff. But then on, then me who was being introed and connected to someone else, I'm like, oh, I, now I have to go through this silly little sign up process. The other person had to do it on the other end. And I, I'm not going to even mention names of the product, but I'm like, that's it. Not going to be a customer of that product. Um, and, and I, and I think that those subtle interactions, those between the line things that happen, it, that's the magic, man. That, that's, that's, you know, that's. At least for me, that's the stuff that excites me, you know, not, not the, you know, the other components of UX. And those are the more subtle things, as you said, that makes folks really love a product. And some of these things in an average to below average usability test, you wouldn't discover them because people can complete the task. And if they're not maybe in this particular scenario, it might not even occur to them how they're really feeling. So they're, they can be some of the harder things I think to tease out uh, in terms of how you're the impact you're having on folks. I think so. I think that's well said. Anything else you want that you think is relevant to this topic that you want to hit on before we, uh, before we wrap up? Hey, Jeremy, you know, not, not, not so much, to be honest, you know, there, there's, um, you know, I, I appreciate the conversation and it's invigorated me and like kind of renewed a little bit of an interest in trying to maybe possibly solve some of these. So, so I appreciate the time to, you know, allow me to step on a soapbox a little bit and, um, you know, I hope it was hope it was valuable and you know and helpful. Um, but like I say, I think I think you know I think UX is really about you know carving your path, knowing yourself, knowing how you learn, and making adjustments there. Well, Brian, thank you so much for for joining me today. Really appreciate it. If folks want to follow you or find you online, hear more about things you have to say, is there any channels that you would send them to? 
I guess, Twitter and Instagram, so maybe I'm old school, at Crying Balma, K-R-I-A-N-B-A-L-M-A. And uh, that's about it. Awesome. Well, we'll put that link in the show notes as well. And we'll, any links for things we've talked about during the conversation, we'll have there in addition. You can find those show notes at sux.live. That's S-U-X for Saving UX. And please subscribe to catch all our future episodes as well. Once again, this has been the incredible Brian Kalma. Brian, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. Take care.